welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Send Institute, and we're excited to have with us today Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie is an author, poet, Bible teacher, and artist. Her newest book is entitled Holier Than Thou, How God's Holiness Helps Us Trust Him. This is a follow-up book uh, to her previous book, Gay Girl, Good God, and Jackie's married to Preston Perry, who is also a poet and Bible teacher, and they live in Atlanta with their children. But before we hear from Jackie, let's go to our host, editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, Ed Stetzer. I'm a little intimidated that we have a poet on today. Because I, I, I want my daughter, my daughter wants to. She started the poetry club in high school, and she wants to be a poet, and I'm totally... I'm totally clueless of poetry. So I'm excited we have a poet. But also, I mean, Jackie's book has really taken off. Um, a lot of people having conversations about it. I love that and more. And and I, and I will tell you, the title is just awesome, Holier Than Thou, How God's Holiness Helps Us to Trust Him. So let me encourage you to pick up a copy of Holier Than Thou, if you're a listener. And uh, But let's jump right into the conversation and just start with the whole topic of holiness. Jackie, I mean, people... Gla- their eyes glaze over. You know, how do you define holiness, and why in the world would you decide to write a book on something that seems to be passe and out of date? Yeah, I mean, because to talk about holiness is to talk about God, and that's kind of important. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I think the, the best way to define it is to define it the way the Bible has, which is to speak of separateness, to, to be set apart from something. I think holiness does have a lot of baggage where Uh, Depending on what church context you grew up in, you might think of holiness as a person who's stale, doesn't laugh at anything, doesn't play games, doesn't wear women that don't wear pants uh, or, you know, all kinds of things. But holiness is so much bigger than that and, and more beautiful than that and more interesting than that is that God is set apart from all things and he's calling people to be like him. Therefore, we are called to be set apart from all things, too. Um, So, yeah. Well, Jackie, um, you and I will both speak at denominations that even use the word holiness to describe themselves. And then you hear words like separation and often, you know, some of us holiness denominations will say, you know, can't wear earrings or have makeup. And there's, I mean, there's all kinds of misconceptions about it. And I'll often say that holiness is not separation from, from sinners. It's separation from sin. And for some reason, people are like, oh, that's important because it doesn't mean we don't engage some of those contexts, but how did holiness get this bad reputation and how do we help fix it? I don't know, maybe because uh, bad Bible reading, uh, maybe because, you know, uh, holiness has been hijacked, uh, not only by legalists, but also those who are the complete opposite, who say, you know, to be holy is uh, not necessarily a requirement. (laughs) You know, I can, God loves me enough where I can still do and speak and behave however I want. And so I think I think the helpful thing is that God has provided for us his word, his son, and even people throughout centuries who have communicated about this theme and have helped us to see what it actually looks like to be holy. And that it doesn't have a bunch of bells and whistles. It's not super fantastic, which I used to think holiness was that. It's just like, oh, to be holy, okay, I have to wear this certain outfit, listen to this certain thing, speak a certain way. But it's like, when I started to meet holy people, They just were really regular, but different. They were gentle. They were kind. They were self-controlled. 
they have joy. They were consistent. All the fruit of the spirit, which the Holy Ghost produces. <laughs> so when I think, I think when we simplify it and distill it down to that, we see that holiness isn't, it just isn't that deep yet deep. Yeah, I think a part of that is for a lot of people, they don't believe in God's holiness, um, or they struggle with the concept of God is mean, or God's a fun killer. Uh, in, in your book, you actually write that not many people would dare call God a liar out loud, lest they be guilty of blasphemy or kept from forgiveness. But what the mouth doesn't say, the heart still reveals. And so I'm, I'm really curious about what you meant by that, because, I mean, what are what are some of the ways that Christians actually reveal that they don't believe that God is holy? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's an implicit belief that, you know, needs to be brought to the surface. Uh, there, there are two things I saw in scripture that kind of thought brought me to that point was Jeremiah 2, God is speaking to Israel. And he said, what wrong or injustice have you found in me that you left me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? And then in John 8, Jesus talking to Israel says, uh, can any of you convict me of sin? If not, why don't you believe me? And in both cases, Old and New Testament, we see God presenting his moral purity as the reason why he's worthy to be trusted. And which kind of brings to the idea of like, oh, what, what does my unbelief say about what I believe about the moral purity and the nature of God? Because if I'm not trusting him to care for my cares, what is it that I believe he won't do? I don't believe he'll be compassionate. If, if I don't trust him to be Lord of the body, why is that? Like there, there has to be some type of implicit belief that God isn't as good or as faithful or as kind or as gentle or as just as he's presented himself to be in the scriptures. And so I think that's a really important thing uh, because if we do believe that God is as holy as he really is, I really do think that we have more than enough reason and cause to give him everything. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if he's as holy as he says, and and also as you describe in Holier Than Thou, how God's holiness helps us trust him, I mean, without Christ, the holiness of God is a terrifying reality, but with grace, it's a remarkable and beautiful reality, yet somehow it just seems to have gotten confused. Um, a lot of people think uh, the point of being a Christian or even the point of life is to be a moral person, and I'm going to be more holy, I'm going to try harder. You know, Benjamin Franklin did that kind of crazy experiment where he kept like trying to punish himself for sin so he'd become more of a righteous person. That's a very different version than the holiness, the version vision of holiness in the Bible. Help us to see the vision of holiness in the Bible related to our human misunderstandings. Yeah, I mean, I think we were created to be like God. We were created to to be good, to be morally pure, to have righteous ethics, to think good, to speak well, to dignify our neighbors. That, that's what we were created for, to image God. But uh, because of sin, as we all know, we, we more often <laughs> image the devil more than we do the creator of the universe. Um, and and I, I think sin has warped our minds and darkened our understanding to the degree that when God calls us to image his son, when call, God calls us to obey him, it doesn't even feel or sound like a good thing. It sounds like the loss of freedom. It sounds like mm -hmm. boredom. It sounds like, why would I relinquish all of these toys that won't even save my soul for God? Uh, and so I, I, I think it takes faith, really, 
to believe one, that God's holiness is good, but also that in him calling us to be set apart unto himself for good works, that that also is good, you know? And I think once we do believe it's good, then we pursue it with all of our heart, you know? We, we do become kind to our neighbor and loving to people and we love our enemies and we turn the other cheek and we try to walk in self-control and not in drunkenness and all these other things that feel like slavery, but they're really not. Well, they are slavery, so all the, slavery to righteousness. Right, but all those things that you're saying, are all things that you know live your Christian life. We could all put them under the framework of the fruit of the Spirit and what it means to be more like Jesus and be conformed to his image, all of which I think is good and important. But it's interesting to me that you, well, two things, that you rooted all this in the holiness of God. That's one. And number two, the holiness of God is not a particularly well-appreciated idea, and yet a lot of people are reading and talking about the book. Again, it's holier than thou, how God's holiness helps us trust him. So you took a risk. Why did you think it was so important to, you could have just said, grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but you rooted it in the holiness of God. And then why do you think people are so responding to this so strongly? Hmm. One, I think it's important because you got, you got Isaiah having a vision of God in the temple and the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. That's pretty important that we have an attribute of God being sung to the third power, right? And so one, I, I think that much of the wickedness within ourselves, in the church, in the culture is because we don't know God. And so I felt like what better resource is there than to give people a resource about the nature of God? Why people are picking it up? I don't know, maybe because God still has his hand on the church <laughs> and, and there, there is a remnant that still wants to know him and love him and serve him. But I also think that there, it, it's possible that even the fact that a book about holiness is being written not only by a woman, but a black woman and a millennial, I think even mm. those categories make the topic something interesting because I, I think people are wondering how you know, how who I am and how I am can influence or frame a conversation that seems old. Yeah, I, I think part of the conversation has moved away from holiness because it feels like the themes of God's wrath and justice just seem so harsh and <laughs> almost paint a picture of God being mean. And I love the fact that, you know, you're, you're saying you're, you're writing this as someone who's a a uh, younger person, person of color, uh, woman, uh, help us to think through Jackie, our listeners in particular, because they're they're probably pastors, teachers, church leaders, and they have felt the pressure to shy away from these huge mm -hmm. mega themes of the Bible right. that have you know in some ways almost have had gotten a bad rap. How can you encourage them to, to instead of shying away, lean into the idea of God's holiness, God's justice? the ideas of wrath? What, what, give us a way um, to think about it. I mean, I won't say anything that they don't know, which is all scripture is God-breathed and profitable yep. and useful mm -hmm. uh, to equip the man of God uh, for every good work. It, it, like it's, it, because it's in the Bible and because it's about God, it is important. And I, I never think that the way we navigate the Bible should be contingent upon if people receive it well or not. Um, it has to be, what do the people need most? And that's a vision of God, you know, Romans one, people are turning away from God, uh, exchanging him for created things. And that one reason that is, is because of our sinful nature. I think another reason that, that is, is because we're not, I don't think we're doing, 
that sounds negative. I think we would do well to present a picture of God that is authentic and true and attractive, right? So if it's just about morality, do good, that, that really doesn't serve me. Why? But if it's about, no, do good because God is, God is good. I think that that, that makes it interesting. It makes my obedience worth something, you, you know? And so that, that's the motivation. It's useful. Why not? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're making a great point. I, I mean, I mean, that's the title of your book. I mean, how this increases God's trustworthiness when we understand God's holiness and not just in terms of like he is a perfect rule follower, but this is intrinsic to his personhood. I mean, I think as a person for me, I'm attracted to somebody who has integrity. So that makes a, a lot of sense. In, in the way that the Bible talks about God's holiness, like what, what are like what are the areas in our life that we might need to reimagine in order to appreciate God's holiness even more? I don't know. <laughs> um, I want to say all of it, but I think even a really small, really small thing is, let's say how we pray, for example. Um, I, I I think when I was studying. Uh, the, of, about holiness and reading books and researching and all the things, uh, my prayer life started to change because I started to see that God was transcendent, obviously. He, he exists differently than us, but he's also imminent, therefore close and, and near. But not only that, it was that he could hear me, um, but he could also do something. And because he's transcendent, he could do something in such a way that no human being on earth could. So for example, um, I, I have a community of people where if I'm dealing with something, I can call them and say, hey, I need your help. But I have a God who, in heaven who knows what I need before I even ask him. He doesn't have to call me to ask me how I'm doing. He just knows. Why? Because he exists differently. But he's also sovereign. All of this is an extension of God's transcendence, God's holiness, God's uniqueness. Um, and so he can change circumstances, but not only change circumstances, he can utilize circumstances so that they work for my good and for his glory. And so that makes my prayer feel powerful. <laughs> it makes my prayer feel necessary. And it makes my prayer feel like I'm not wasting my time by doing it. So I think that's one area where the holiness of God impacts uh, the way we live our lives. Love it. Okay, so um, this book, I mean, I think a lot of us know you from your music. Do you have it? I'd like right here, right here. It's I on do. my phone. You want to put it out? Oh, we can see you? if it's on. It's on my phone. Because awesome. I'm not going with like the fancy stuff like Spotify. Yeah. No, 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 no. You just got the I'm album. sticking with iTunes. They don't even call it iTunes anymore, but I've got stuff downloaded and I'm sticking with it. Sorry, just a little random. I have to, you know, help help him He's to understand his me. musical school skills because don't give up on iTunes. It might come back. Um, but so some of us know you write music. A lot of people know you by your book. Uh, your first book was Gay Girl, Good God. Uh, what's the relationship between these two books? And do they have a relationship? And if it is, if so, what is it? I think uh, the thing that tethers them is connecting the nature and person of God as expressed through Jesus as the motivation and the reason why we should trust him and therefore obey. Uh, because in Gay Girl, Good God, it, it, it really is more about God than it is about me. It's that, you know, at 19, I was in my room being the person that I was, an active lesbian, addicted to marijuana, a drunkard, a thief, disobedient to my parents, unruly, rebellious. 
and God interrupted my world, showing me himself through the power of the spirit and my deciding and my choosing to turn from sin and to trust in Christ is because I finally believe that he was who he said he was. And so my motivation wasn't purely morality or fear of hell or to be heterosexual. It was God himself. And so then you connect that to holier than thou. It's all right. We all have struggles. We all have issues. We all have sins. And what if the, the, the what if the reason why we are functioning in the ways that we function that are opposite of God's nature are, are because we don't know or therefore understand and trust who God's nature um, or who God is. And so I think it's really the same thing, just written about two different subjects. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I like to kind of lean into that because I think yeah, opposite of holiness, or maybe opposite, but like you know, another theme that emerges from holiness is shame, almost like the the human reaction to realizing God's holiness and our own unholiness. And the way that we help people, especially church leaders, as they're helping their church members or their you know, those that they care for, to navigate shame in their lives. Um, what what are the some of the things that you you think um, the themes of God's holiness that actually should compel us in our shame towards God rather than away? Because the tendency is to shy away from God's holiness when we feel that deep shame. I'm not really good with conversations on shame just because I'm still trying to recognize it in myself. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, if I had to wing it. It, it would simply be, I wonder just how much us diving deep into how God's love and God's holiness are intertwined, how that should motivate us to trust him when it comes to our shame. But I don't know. I think, uh, what's that counselor guy who wrote writes books and stuff? He would probably be great with that. Yeah, no, good, good. But let's, let's talk some about how will understanding God's holiness move people to love and trust him more from the theme of our shame or, or struggle, whatever it may be. A big theme of your book is moving towards an understanding of God's holiness helps us to love and trust him more. Talk us about that. Yeah. So one of the uh, interesting uh, studies that I did was of Exodus 32 when uh, Israel, you know, they didn't know where God, where Moses was. And so they went to Aaron and decided to make an idol. And the interesting thing about their idolatry is that the expectation that they had for the idol was everything that God himself had already shown him he could do, which is to go before them. <laughs> so to protect them, um, to guide them. And so they started to trust in a creative thing to do what a creative thing couldn't even do. Um, and so in understanding God's holiness and how that might apply to Exodus 32, it was this thought of, okay, if God is transcendent, and exists differently than even the way he's able to go before us isn't limited. That's why he's able to show up as a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's why he's able to bring these plagues and make nature turn against Egypt so as to deliver his people. It's like he, he literally is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. And so in one way, our unbelief limits God as if he could be contained, as if he has uh, restrictions, as, as if he cannot do and show up and show out. And so I, I really just think it's, we have to expand our thinking about how God's holiness looks and when it comes to his being. It's like, no, like this, this, I'm not gonna call him this guy, 
but God is different, yo. <laughs> like he really is able to be trusted in ways that you can only imagine. I like that. I like that. Mm. It, it makes me think about like the times in the New Testament where where Jesus was being accused of being unholy, you know, specifically by the religious leaders. So he was called friends of sinners and you know t- tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus was in was in the presence of those who religious people considered to be not holy. Uh, what yeah, are your and did, and did things that and, people would consider not holy? Yeah, yeah, yeah did things uh, and, and were in places Unclean, yeah. that people of you know his quote-unquote stature shouldn't be be a part of. What do you think Jesus was modeling for us? What are some of the things that we should learn about holiness from from Jesus's life? Yeah, I think uh, a really cool and necessary passage is Luke 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Um, and how he responds, I think, is a really good picture of what holiness really looks like when tested. Uh, because how, you know, the devil comes and says, hey, turn these stones into bread which is really loaves so overindulge feed yourself you know and i think that's a really contemporary temptation to to satisfy the body and jesus he goes to scripture he goes to deuteronomy and says like no no man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god and how does that relate to us well it's saying jesus understood that all of his provision and his sustenance and even the timing of his death is in God's hand. And so I don't, I don't need to feel, feed the body um, to be satisfied, to be sustained. Everything proceeds from the hand of God. And so that's one thing. Or you have them saying, hey, jump off the temple, bro, so that people <laughs> will see you. you know? And it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to test God. Why? Because I trust him. And so I, I think, one, you see that Jesus's holiness was rooted in his understanding and his trust in the scriptures, but not just the scriptures, also his God, because what set him apart also from the Pharisees is that they had a great knowledge of the scriptures. Jesus said, hey, like you read the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but this is they that testify about me. So it's not enough for me to just read the Bible and think that makes me holy. I actually have to believe what it says and do what it does. And so those are two ways we see holiness, I think, uh, seen in Jesus, is that he really does believe the word and he believes the God that the word explains. Hmm. Love it. Okay, you, um, you're you not a pastor, but I want you to put yourself in a pastor's shoes. And and again, she, did I mention she's a poet? She's a poet. She I want to be a poet. <laughs> is everyone a poet when they're like six? I'm a poet, but I don't know it. It's and then, hard to be. And then some people stay poets. And that I'm jealous. Again, uh, by the way, by the way, the book, just to remind everybody, is Holier Than Thou, How God's Holiness Helps Us Trust Him. And I want to encourage you to pick it up copy as well. If you're listening to this on our webpage, you can just click on a link right there or find it wherever fine books are sold. It's from our friends at B&H. Um, so Holier Than Thou. Um, but our audience is pastors and ministry leaders who live in a world where if you talk about if you talk about holiness, and this is how holiness might be lived out, boy, they can get pushed back. Um, they can be misunderstood, or maybe, and maybe sometimes they're articulating it poorly. So um, how might you encourage pastors, ministry leaders to teach on holiness in their context in a way that, that honors the Lord and points people towards Him, His holiness, and then for them to live holy lives? Hmm. That's a hard question. Um, I can speak for what's worked for me when I've gone Please. into... Uh, spaces like universities that are secular or teens. Um, And I think knowing how the people think 
anticipating objections that come from spending time uh, with a certain demographic really, I think, helps to shape and frame how you communicate an idea because you're not just speaking to strangers now or, or generalizing an idea, but you're able to actually speak it. I guess I'm explaining contextualization. You're actually able. Uh, which, to, which, for the record, we're in favor of. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> able to communicate in a way to be heard because you know who you're speaking to and how they think about the particular ideas. Um, I think that's one. Two, um, I not to be in... I think even though the world is dark and full of sinners and our, our, our thinking is broken and we love sin, all that, all of that, like the Holy Spirit really is faithful to use his word to accomplish supernatural means in the hearts and minds of people. And so I do think that there has to be a, a greater faith and trust that even as this goes forth, this offensive word, this confusing word, that it still will land on hearts that the Holy Spirit has softened, right? And so even if the response isn't what we love or what we expect, the Holy Spirit is going to do what he does, you know? And I, I think that would, I don't know, give us a, a sense of confidence to go forward in preaching Leviticus or, or preaching, uh, was that 2 Samuel 6 when Uzzah drops dead? That's kind of scary. <laughs> or you go to Acts and preach Ananias and Sapphira. It's like, this is mad intense. I don't know if I want to preach this. The Holy Spirit is going to use that text to accomplish good means. That's a good word. We've been talking with Jackie Hill Perry. Be who's sure to check a out... a poet. Poet. Who's Jackie a poet. Perry. I want to be a poet. Be sure to check out her new book, Holier Than Thou, and you can learn more about Jackie at JackieHillPerry.com. Thanks for listening to the Setzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry at churchleaders.com. If you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review on iTunes. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. You can find this podcast as well as other great Christian podcasts on Faith Play app, available for both Apple and Android. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.